Our scripture reading today is from Romans, Romans 13:11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. morning. Welcome to the Painted Door. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Morgan, and I'm one of the pastors here. (laughs) Uh, Today, uh, according to the Christian calendar, is Christ the King Sunday. It is the last Sunday before Advent. Uh, and I, I might be mistaken, uh, but I think this was the first Sunday that I ever preached on, like two, three years ago. And uh, it is way too soon for me to say something ridiculous, like, this is my favorite Sunday to preach. But this is totally my favorite Sunday to preach. Uh, one, the name and the whole point of this Sunday uh, is to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is king of the universe, which is awesome. <laughs> And two, being that this last, being the last Sunday before Advent, we are offered a opportunity to stand at the edge of it all. Once again, seeing not just the birth of the gospel, but the whole gospel story with the help of the Christian calendar. In Advent, we look forward to the incarnation, the birth of Christ. In Lent, we look forward to the suffering, life, and death of Christ. At Easter, the resurrection of Christ. All of us is all of this is before us, and in all the th- all these things, we are looking at the God Man who saved us, and even now is saving us. Looking looking from this perspective is like being at the bottom of the tallest mountain in the universe. <laughs> uh, Christ is at the top. The new heavens and the new earth are in His hands. And he is reaching down to us, guiding us to himself, leading us into our eternal dwelling place with him. Or it could be thought in the opposite, like instead of a valley looking up, we are on a sled looking down, (laughs) teetering on the edge of an experience with the divine life that will never end. The Christian calendar itself is built upon the premise that Christ is king of all the universe, All things orbit orbit and find their place around him, our world, our time, our lives, our thoughts. He is the end for which all things were made. To know him is to know truth. To know him is to know beauty. To know him is to know God. To know him is to be first known by God. He is the author of And he alone is the one setting things right. So the primary service the Christian calendar provides to us is by way of being a reminder. We are reminded of what God has done and is doing and what Christ 
will do on our behalf. In fact, one could say that most of the Christian life is a life structured around reminders meant to send us back to that simple and surrendering trust to be had through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are reminded that we in Christ are one flesh. United together through his indwelling Holy Spirit, and through the Spirit, the whole Christ is given to us and is open to us. And what he gives to us is salvation to the fullest. From the beginning to end, all the character, energy, nature of your and mine, our experience with God, was achieved in this incarnation of Christ, this union of God and man, who formed our salvation through his obedience and his sufferings. And when this union reached perfection, he was crucified. God laid himself down on his own altar and made a great exchange with all us sinners. Of his own accord, he has agreed to take all the sin that we can throw at him, and he will freely give us all the graces that are within him. In this exchange, Satan, sin, and death have lost all their claim on us. The gospel of the New Testament is not exaggerating when it portrays this bloody cross as the victory of God, a victory that has unleashed the forgiving, healing, elevating spirit of Christ, death having no hold on him. He took up his humanity in resurrection and sent forth his spirit, now going through all the world to gather from every nation and tribe a people of God. And we are here because we've been gathered by his love. We need this reminder all the time. There is simply no other way to measure your salvation except by the love of God in Christ. We are so quick to lie to ourselves that it is more humble to be motivated by fear or more humble to have a posture of being so unworthy of God's love that we essentially live a life earning God's love, earning God's grace, which cannot be. We have such a infatuation with the part we play as Christians when Christ desires disciples who are being formed and fueled in the true and radical love that he is giving us, which is he works all things for our good and nothing can separate us from his love. We are not our own. We are his beloved children. And we are hidden in Christ and through him suspended in the triune life. So, for the next four weeks of Advent, we'll be looking at the incarnation of Christ, looking at this king of the universe, not just in lofty titles, but in the strange manner in which Christ enters our world. It is this, the manner in which Christ enters our world, that I want to briefly explore and remind ourselves again. How does he arrive to us? How does he meet our need for solutions to all our sin and death that we see in our lives and in our world? How do his promises become answered? 
in the Advent season, we generally speak of only his first coming to us, his incarnation. For to us a child was born, to us a son is given. But the word Advent has also been used to describe his second coming at the end of days, the return of Christ. And in very good form and with much biblical warrant, tradition has also spoken of a third arrival of Christ. It was St. Bernard of Clairvaux, a 12th century monk, that pointed out that there are, in fact, three arrivals of Christ. He says, We know that there are three comings of Christ. The third lies between the other two. It is invisible, while the other two are visible. In the first coming, he was seen on earth, dwelling among men. He himself testifies that they saw him and hated him. In the final coming, all flesh will see the salvation of our God, and they will look on him whom they pierced. The intermediate coming is a hidden one. In it only the elect see the Lord within their own selves, and they are saved. In this first coming, our Lord came in our flesh and in our weakness. In this middle coming, he comes in spirit and in power. In the final coming, he is seen in glory and majesty. Because this coming lies between the other two, it is like a road on which we travel from the first to the last. In the first, Christ was our redemption. In the last, he will appear as our life. In this middle coming, he is our rest and consolation. This is a remarkable line of thinking and connects so much about what is being assumed when we speak of things like our union with Christ or speak of being saved by faith alone. These three arrivals of Christ are at the top, at the order of salvation. They are above all else. Everything we know and receive of God comes through the union of God and man in Jesus Christ and his saving work. Everything else is in submission to and service to by way of reminding of these saving acts of Christ. I think it's safe to say that it is in these arrivals of Christ, these saving moments of God, that the promises of God that are all over the scriptures are open for examination to see whether or not they were kept or broken. It is here that the promises of scriptures, scripture can come alive, where we can see the past grace of God, his present grace, his future grace, being granted for the saving of our souls. For example, Malachi 4, verse 2, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. In each of the arrivals we'll look at, you can see Malachi 4.2 being fulfilled by a whole host of saving activity on the part of God in Christ. His fulfilling of the law in our behalf, his ministry of healing, him being raised up on the cross, his gathering of a people, his spirit that rides on the wind, the healing banner of God's love under which we live. God seems to have so little interest in just letting a promise be a promise only once. With each arrival, God shows more length, more width, height, and depth of his love. God loves to tell his stories with both complexity and simplicity, saving truth that has little interest in conforming to our expectations, 
but with every interest in meeting us where we are. So, first, is the Incarnation. In the first, he took up our flesh and blood. The Incarnation here means more than just Christ's birth, but the whole redeeming event, from coming to us as a babe, to leaving on a cloud, from the celebration of his birth, to the annihilation on the cross, from the poor life of a carpenter, to a teacher of the whole nation, the incarnation is to be seen as Christ's whole person, God and man, divine life and human life, within him a whole new way of being, achieved by Christ alone, forged in Christ alone, and ready for any sinner who would have him by faith. In the middle, this middle road between the beginning and the end of Christ's arrivals, this middle is grace through faith. In the middle, we take up his spirit indwelling. Our bond through faith is mystical and unseen, Yet grace through faith is Christ stepping closer than the incarnation, not superseding or replacing the incarnation, but uniting us together, our souls, through his life-giving spirit. Invisible within themselves, according to St. Bernard. To have faith is to have the spirit. And where there is spirit, Christ dwells richly, delivering unto us the rest and healing under the rights and benefits of his whole person. However, grace through faith is unique from the other two in that it insists on being understood as both the presence of Christ's spirit and the absence of Christ's humanity, which makes it very difficult to grapple with the thought that he is near to us now through his spirit. I mean... (laughs) Who hasn't, at one time or the other, thought that if they could just go back, if they could just go and see the historical Christ, it would be enough? If only... If only I could lay my head on his breast like John the Beloved, or weep at his feet like Mary... that would be enough to turn down the heat of the life of faith. Even though it is Christ who has left the earth, it is we who feel the confusion in our experience of faith, like roots torn from the soil, because the fullness of Christ is our home, and Christ knows this. In John 16.10, uh, but instead I'm going to read John 16.4-11, through 11. This is Christ speaking to his disciples in preparation for the time when his incarnation is coming, is about to end. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. 
concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Christ is very aware that grace through faith often leads to sorrow filling our hearts. So much of the fight of faith in this life is a fight to believe, to believe that the presence of Christ that we have known is enough, enough to keep trusting him as he leads us, to not be afraid of the hidden way that he is going about all of this. And we need to let his absence and our desire to be closer to him be our guide. This, this homesick feeling within the experience of faith is pure, and it is a good companion to have. He will return to us again. So trust him. Trust him in this confusing and emotional life of faith. It is often in the unfulfilled desires, the difficulties of faith, that Christ teaches us his most profound lessons and raises us up to see his own love as our own, to live in and grow in. The posture of faith that is being taught to us in the scriptures is both a posture rooted in contentment with what Christ has done for you, but also facing towards more life in Christ, more relationship with Christ, more healing and growth in Christ. And finally, the second coming. In the last, we take up his victorious flesh and blood. In Christ's final coming, the last of Adam's curse is replaced forever by Christ's resurrected and glorified humanity as Christ again steps in closer to us. Then we will be able to say of our own bodies, it is Christ's very own immortality, and not just our persons fully healed, but the whole of the universe will be set right and in alignment with the reign of Christ. The new heavens and the new earth, forever dwelling with him. In this, Christ is closer than the incarnation and closer than grace through faith. But again, not superseding, not replacing, but uniting together in him and through him. These three arrivals of Christ are all connected. They point to one another. They exist together, already not yet, yet in this one God-man. I'm keeping it really short for you folks today. So, Romans 13 11 through 12. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than, we, than when we first believed. The night is gone and the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is good news, Christian. We are more than halfway through the story. Allow yourself the hope in God. Allow yourself a hope that gets out of your control just a little bit. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In this, we are looking at a gospel story that never, ever ends. When we talk about his birth, his life, 
his death, we are talking about the Son of God from out of his own heart, the energy and light of God. This divine life is freely given through faith. You have already been approached by Christ twice. Wait patiently, yet eagerly, to receive him in glory and majesty. Look up to the cross. Look, look up to heaven. His love is so deep for you, and his love is pure. In closing, Romans 13, 13 through 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Faith becomes ill in sin and fear. And faith blooms in hope and love. Choose the hope and love of Christ. Dwell on these things. Do not settle for anything less than the victory of the cross, the presence of Christ through faith, and the eternal reign of Christ. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, you have made us alive in Christ and continue to make us alive. Uh, Send your spirit again. Break down our poor imaginations, God, to see your love as it is, brighter and hotter than anything we could ultimately imagine, God. Just remind us, help us to receive you uh, in all things, but especially through each other, Lord. Have mercy on us and remember us. Amen.